0: Well, good morning, Live Point. Thanks so much for joining us. It's Sunday at home. If you would, grab your Bible with me and turn to the book of Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter four today. As you're turning there, uh, I just wanna ask something, a very simple question, a little food for thought as we begin here this morning. Have you ever experienced something life-changing because you were in the right place at the right time, like maybe something that appeared on the surface just to be kind of a chance encounter with someone absolutely redirected the entire course of your life in an unexpected way. I think probably all of us can say yes to that to some degree. We can all point to something that's happened in our lives and say, yeah, being there at that exact moment, that changed everything for me. I ask this question today because God has a way of doing that. He has a way of showing up where he needs to be at the exact right moment. And as we'll see in our passage today in Matthew 4, being in the right place at the right time is how he advances his kingdom. So let's read together from Matthew 4. We'll begin in verse 12, and we'll read through verse 17. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested... He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles." The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thanks be to God for his word. So for the past several weeks... We've been looking at the opening chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And this is what we've seen. That Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ who has come to save people from sin. We've seen this throughout several events in Jesus' life. And now we come to the very important event of Jesus launching his public ministry. As we look at this, as we, we study this event, we see that it makes known God's sovereign work in human history. That God was at work 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, but he is no less at work today. He wants to work in our time. Not only that, this passage of scripture in a way serves as an invitation to us, calling us to follow Jesus, to pattern our lives after him so that we can be part of what God is doing in the world around us. So as we look at the launch of Jesus' public ministry, this is what we'll find. This is what we need to walk away with today. Christians are called to live as Christ's ambassadors by manifesting and announcing his kingdom to those who dwell in darkness. So today I want us to see what was really happening when Jesus went public with his ministry, and I want us to understand how it applies to our lives now. So, to that end, there are three observations I wanna make. These three observations demonstrate the significance of how Jesus began to minister publicly. The first observation is the timing of Jesus' ministry. Something happens in this passage of Scripture that causes Jesus to recognize that it's time. To begin his ministry. This is what verse 12 implies. John the Baptist had been arrested by Herod Antipas. Who was the son of Herod the Great. You may remember Herod the Great. He showed up back in Matthew chapter 2. He was the one who in the story of the wise men sought to destroy Jesus. When Jesus was only a small child. Well, Here in chapter 4 we see that Herod's son was carrying on this. This family tradition of opposing the kingdom of God. He arrested John because John was proclaiming allegiance to a different kingdom. And when Jesus heard about John's arrest, verse 12 says that he withdrew into Galilee. What's going on here? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he withdraw from Judea into Galilee? Well, one commentator suggests that with John's ministry now completed, Jesus saw that it was time to begin his own. So in a manner of speaking, John ran his leg of the race. And now that John has been arrested, Jesus recognizes that this is a signal that it's time for him to take up the baton of kingdom work. The timing of Jesus' ministry is surprising, though, in, in, in some ways. You would think that with John... Just having been arrested, Jesus would want to kind of kind of lay low for a while. He would, he would want to wait until all this stuff with John has died down before he begins to minister in public. But instead, Jesus recognizes that it is time to begin this phase in his life. You see, the timing of God's redeeming work does not always make sense from an earthly standpoint. Paul says in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 4, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Fullness of time. Think about what that means. It means that all of history culminated in the moment that Jesus Christ was born. The whole sweep of God's redeeming work in human history hinges on the timing ...of that event, the birth of Jesus happened at exactly the right moment. But if you think about it, in many ways, from an earthly standpoint... ...the birth of Jesus happened at a very difficult time. It was incredibly problematic for him to be born when he was. For instance, Mary was found to be pregnant before she was married to Joseph. And just before Jesus was born... His family was forced to travel far from home to a place that had nowhere for them to stay. There was no room for them there. To make matters worse, Jesus was born in a region where those in power had no interest in having their kingdom contested. And they were willing to resort to violence in order to protect their interests. It makes no earthly sense at all that this, of all times, was the fullness of time. But God doesn't measure things the way that we do, friends. Instead, he operates according to the timetable of his good purposes, his sovereign plan, not our convenience, not our felt needs, not our perception of what's going on. The same is true for Jesus' public ministry. Jesus went public when his moment had arrived. This specific timing was the timing that God had ordained for him. You see, you and I, we need to think of our own lives this way. We need to think of our own lives in terms of God's timing. God has orchestrated your timeline so that your life might intersect with the lives of people at a very specific time. And He has done this so that you can bear a faithful witness for Jesus. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, you have to believe that people come into your life for a specific reason. Don't miss out on what God is doing because you're measuring the timing by your own understanding, by your own perception of what's happening. No, consider God's timing with him. Timing matters. But it's not only timing that matters, it's also place. It's also location. That brings us to our second observation, which is the location of Jesus's ministry. Go back to verse 12. You see that Jesus withdraws from Judea into Galilee. And Matthew tells us that while he's there, he travels to his hometown of Nazareth, and then he journeys to Capernaum by the sea. Now, Galilee, as Matthew notes, was the region of Naphtali and Zebulun. It was the northernmost territory of Israel, and at that time, a good law-abiding Israelite probably would have viewed Nazareth with suspicion. To them, it would have been a place that was, uh, it was a place of, that reeked of moral and spiritual compromise of all the Jewish territories. It was the, the furthest removed from Jerusalem and Galilee not only had a reputation as being geographically removed from Jerusalem, but it was also seen as being spiritually removed from Jerusalem. It was seen as being cut off from the the customs and the traditions of God's people. Galilee also had more exposure to the wider world than most Jewish territories did. It was less insulated from foreign influences. Because of where it was situated, it was a a highly populated place. And it was a place of, of trade and industry. It was sort of a crossroads. And this attracted people from all over the world. So Galilee was also more ethnically diverse than other places in Israel. So it was a place where new political and religious ideas from all over the world could be shared and explored. It truly was, as Matthew notes here... Galilee of the Gentiles or Galilee of the nations. But as I said, this reputation wasn't viewed positively by a great many Jewish people. The common attitude toward Galilee's expressed in John chapter 1. Philip tells Nathaniel, hey, we found the Messiah. We found the one that, that Moses wrote about and prophesied about. And he is from Nazareth. And how does Nathanael respond? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is that even possible? In other words, if you were looking for the Messiah, Galilee of the nations was about the last place you would ever consider. It had that kind of reputation. If someone who ministered in Galilee claimed to be the Messiah, surely it was some kind of hoax. Yet Matthew wants his audience to see that far from being a hoax, the Messiah's work In Galilee was the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. Jesus launching his ministry in Galilee was proof that he was indeed the Messiah who had come into the world. Matthew demonstrates this by quoting the prophet Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah chapter 9. And if you go back and you look at Isaiah's prophecy in that passage, you see he was foretelling the exile of God's people. This was bad news. The Assyrian army was bearing down on them. They were looming on the horizon. And Isaiah warned that Galilee would be the first to go into exile. They would be the first of God's people to be cut off from the land that God had promised to Abraham. This is tragic. God was ordaining that his people would be judged for their sin, for their rebellion, for their idolatry. And that judgment would start In Galilee, they were going to be banished into outer darkness among the Gentiles, forced to live away from the only home that they had ever known. They would no longer be Galilee of Israel. They would now be Galilee of the nations. But Isaiah had more than a warning. He had a word from the Lord. He had a promise for the people of Galilee that even though they would be the first to experience God's judgment, they would also be the first to experience His redeeming work through the Messiah. The light of God's salvation would dawn first in Galilee because a child would be born, a son would be given, and His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Isaiah prophesied that this, this child, this prince of peace, would reign upon the throne of David. He would be a better king. He would be the king that Israel had been longing for for thousands of years. Just read the books of First and Second Kings and you see Israel and Judah were by and large ruled by corrupt monarchs. Almost every king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the very throne that had been occupied by these corrupt kings, these unjust kings would finally at long last be occupied by a king who would establish justice and righteousness and equity in Israel forever. This eternal reign of God would begin in Galilee of the nations. By quoting this passage from Isaiah, Matthew is saying, Not only is it the right time for the Messiah to work, but Galilee, it is the right place for the Messiah to work. As God would have it, Jesus is in the right place at the right time. Jesus showing up in a place like Galilee shows us that God cares about location. He cares about particular places. He cares about places like where we live This is why he has us here. It's why he has placed us in southwest Missouri, in the Ozarks. He wants his kingdom manifested in time and place. He has particular concern to see his kingdom manifested in forgotten places. Places that seem hopeless and broken beyond repair. The Messiah showed up in Galilee after all. You don't get more hopeless than that. No one in Jesus' day saw that coming. But this is the way of God. He wants to manifest His kingdom where darkness reigns, where sin has long cast its shadow over people's lives. He's calling us today to identify those broken places in the world around us. Where do you see that darkness? Where do you see that brokenness and that, that hopelessness? Is it in your family? Is it in your your neighborhood or your school or your workplace? Is it in that, that certain part of town where people have been overlooked and forgotten? Those places that seem broken beyond repair are the very places where God wants to manifest his kingdom. And so for that purpose, you and I, just like Jesus was, we are in the right place at the right time. But in order to manifest the kingdom of God, we must have the right message to announce. Right place, right time, right message. This brings us to the the third observation, which is the heart of Jesus' ministry. In verse 17, Matthew notes that when Jesus came to Capernaum, he began to preach. And his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the heart of Jesus' ministry, to, to make known the kingdom. It's his royal declaration bringing light to a people sitting in darkness. And he calls his hearers to respond. He tells them to repent. So Jesus' ministry is characterized by the announcement that the kingdom is close at hand. And this announcement is meant to lead people to repentance. Repentance is not merely changing your mind about something based on new intellectual information. It's not feeling bad about something you've done. It's not a feeling of regret over wrongdoing. No, repentance involves a total change of life. It is a complete redirection of where your life is headed. So when Jesus tells people to repent, he's essentially telling them, turn your life around because you are headed in the wrong direction and this repentance is supposed to be done on the basis of the coming of the kingdom in fact the kingdom is the very thing that empowers our repentance one commentator says that repentance is actually enabled by the word of the invading kingdom. The good news of the kingdom actually activates something in the human heart that causes us to desire to obey the directive of the king. But if this kingdom is what brings repentance, what exactly is it? What is the kingdom of heaven and what does it mean for the kingdom to be close at hand? Well, first of all, when we think of God's kingdom, we must think of his his active dominion taking over. Think of of the place where he reigns and rules and think of his authority and power to rule as king. When Jesus announces that the kingdom is close at hand, he is telling his hearers that the, the kingdom that was once beyond the heavens, the kingdom that was once out of your reach and beyond the scope of your life, that kingdom is now drawing near to you. It is now invading this time and place. It is the presence of the king breaking into human history. It is the light of God's royal glory dawning among people who dwell in the shadowlands of death. This is the heart of Jesus' ministry to manifest the kingdom, to claim that he is the king. And to command our allegiance to Him. He announces with royal authority that He has come from heaven to reign on earth. And we must lay down our sham kingdoms. Our delusion that we can do life on our own terms the way that, that we want. We must lay that down at His feet so that we may receive the kingdom of heaven. When we do this, when we repent and receive the kingdom, we actually become citizens of the kingdom. This means that we no longer belong to the course of this world. We no longer pattern our lives according to earthly kingdoms. We don't define ourselves by worldly categories and identities. No, we enter the heavenly kingdom and we pattern our lives according to the authority of the king. He alone is the one who defines us. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we become ambassadors for Christ and that as his ambassadors, God is actually making his appeal through us. You see, the job of an ambassador is to enter into foreign territory, to to enter into a foreign place in order to represent the kingdom on the king's behalf. And the way that Jesus humbled himself and came to earth and and launched his public ministry gives us a pattern by which we can do this. He shows us that we, like him, are to enter a specific time and a specific place on his behalf. If we are living for the king, if we're following him and seeking his will for our lives, we too will find ourselves at the right place at the right time to make his kingdom known. This means that when you enter your workplace or your school, you are entering there on the king's behalf. When you enter your home and when you when you uh, interact with your, your family, you are doing that on the king's behalf. When you enter the grocery store or a restaurant or take a stroll through your neighborhood, you are doing that on the king's behalf. You no longer represent yourself. No, your presence represents the king and he wants to make his appeal through you as his ambassador. So to do this, to represent the king faithfully as his ambassadors, we must do two things. We must show up and we must speak up. Show up, speak up. Ambassadors for Christ Show up in people's lives. We show up to manifest the kingdom by our presence. This means our presence must be submitted to Jesus. So that we can demonstrate his love and his gentleness. So that we can show forth the kindness and generosity of our good and faithful king. But not only that, we must be willing to speak up. We must be willing to announce the kingdom as God's answer to the world's greatest need. You are an ambassador commissioned by God to declare His excellencies. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that this is why you were called out of darkness into God's marvelous light to proclaim the supreme glory and grace of King Jesus to those who dwell in darkness so that they might join you in the kingdom of light. Yes, Christian, God wants to make His appeal through you. Where will you show up on Christ's behalf? To whom will you speak up about the good news of the kingdom? You are in the right place at the right time to make the kingdom known. And so I urge you to remember today, Christians are called to live as Christ's ambassadors by manifesting and announcing his kingdom to those who dwell in darkness. And finally, if you're not a Christian, You need to know that God is making his appeal to you right now. He is calling you to turn your life around, to redirect your life. He is inviting you, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you respond to that in faith, you will become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You will belong to King Jesus, and he will give you life forevermore. You are in the right place at the right time to put your trust in Him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that everyone watching this right now would receive your kingdom wholeheartedly, God. Make us all receptive. Make us all responsive to your invitation. I pray that our lives would be characterized by true repentance, that your spirit would reach deep into our hearts and stir us at the deepest level of who we are so that we would joyfully and gladly surrender our life to your kingdom. Would you do this, Lord? And I pray for my believing friends today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would live faithfully as your ambassadors. You are calling us to enter time and place on your behalf, in order to make your kingdom known. And so I pray that we would do that, that we would do that faithfully, that we would do that eagerly. Help us to identify people. Just begin to put people on our hearts. Help us to identify places. Just begin to put places on our hearts, Lord, as we, as we receive your word today, as we hear from you today. Just begin that work. So that as we go out this week into the world, that we would go as your ambassadors, ready to take the good news of your kingdom to those who dwell in darkness. Do this and more, Jesus. We pray in your mighty name. Amen.